Okay. So, hi everybody, I'm Claudio Marcantonini. I'm the scientific coordinator of the Florence School of Regulation Climate, which is a research group at the European University Institute working on analysis of the uh, European climate policy. And today I'm going to speak about the most important climate policy we have in Europe, which is the EU ETS. Uh, this uh, presentation is partially uh, based on uh, a paper I've written with uh, Danny Ellerman and Alexander Zaklan on the analysis of the first uh, two phases of the UTS, uh, which will be published uh, soon in the Review of Environmental Economics and Policy. And an earlier version of this paper uh, is available in our working paper series. So this is the outline of today's presentation. It, it is divided in three parts. In the first one, I will give you a short introduction of the historical development of the UTS. In the second one, I will speak about the performances of the UTS, in particular regarding emission reduction and carbon price. And in the third one, I will speak about the future of this instrument and the current debate regarding the, uh, the reform of the UTS. So, uh, the uh, European uh, the UTS means uh, European Union Emission Trading System, and it is the largest cap-and-trade program in the world. In a nutshell, it works in the following way. The EU defines an annual cap on emissions and allocates an equivalent number of allowances. Uh, each regulated installation, in order to emit uh, greenhouse gas emissions, they must surrender an equivalent number of allowances. These allowances can be traded into the market. This means they can be sold or they can be uh, uh, bought in the market. So there is a price for emission allowances, means there is a price to emit CO2 emissions in the system. Uh, from uh, a theoretical point of view, uh, the key characteristic of a cap-and-trade program is that it reduces emissions at the lowest cost, that is, using the cheapest options. So the UTS is very big, uh, it includes 31 countries, more than 50,000 installations uh, in the electricity, in the power sector and the major industrial sectors. It also includes the aviation sectors and it covers about 50% of the total greenhouse gas emissions in Europe. Uh, the UTS this year it marks the 10th anniversary of this instrument. And in these 10 years, the UTS has changed and, uh, and, uh, and it has uh, uh, improved uh, in many aspects through a learning by doing process. Uh, the first directive was enacted in 2003 and the system started in 2005. The first two years, uh, it was called phase one and it was a trial period. This period was completely separated from the rest of the UTS and there was a, was a uh, was a period to test the system, to set up all the machinery, the legal machinery, the technical machinery to make it work. Uh, the um, second period uh, goes from 2008 to 2012 and it corresponds to the first commitment period of the Kyoto Protocol. That's because the uh, UTS, uh, it was born in order to comply with the Kyoto Protocol. But the system, it is independent from the Kyoto Protocol and it's also independent from any international agreement. In other words, the system uh, will remain independently of any development of the Kyoto Protocol. In these first uh, two phases, the, the system was quite decentralized in the sense that the cap was defined at national level and also the allocation of allowances. So it was more a sum of 25 individual systems. Uh, in 2009, there was... Uh, uh, a revision of the system with a new directive, several things were changed, and all these changes started from uh, um, 2013, that is from the beginning of what is called phase three that uh, will uh, continue till 2020. 
the main change is first an adoption of an EU cap. So uh, uh, there is the system has become a real centralized system, a, a, a single system. And this cap declines annually of about 1.74% of the average quantity of allowances issued between 2008-2012, which corresponds to about 38 million of allowances. And this decline uh, is, never, is, is never ending. So uh, the current directive does not uh, foresee a stop of the system. And here, sorry, uh, here you can see the projected uh, cap of the UTS that, as I said, it's never stopped. And in 2050, we'll reach about 70% uh, greenhouse gas emission reduction. So what about emission allocation? In the first two phases, almost all our allowances were given for free based on historical emissions. Uh, this created a windfall, windfall profit. Uh, that is industry, in particular the power sector and the major, uh, uh, major industry, uh, could able to pass through at least part of the cost of the allowances to consumers. But given that they received these allowances for free, they had uh, an additional profit. Uh, from phase three, there, uh, uh, there is a phase out of the free allocation. For the electricity sector, uh, almost all allowances are auctioned. And the electricity sector corresponds to about 50% of the UTS. Uh, there are exceptions for uh, some country, particular uh, uh, Eastern country, that, that can still allow to give uh, free allocation also for this sector. And for the industrial sector, uh, the allocation is based on benchmarking and uh, uh, will be gradually reduced and theoretically by 2027, also in the industrial sector, all allocation should be auctioned. However, sectors that, uh, uh, that uh, are treated by competitiveness, international competitions, uh, they can still receive uh, free allocation. Okay, how the system has worked in these uh, 10 years? Uh, I think the first things to look at is the emission reduction, given that this, this system is there to reduce emissions. So this graph shows the total emissions in the UTS in these uh, 10 years. And you can see that uh, there was um, a reduction of the UTS of about uh, uh, 20%. Now, uh, uh, the question is, what was the role of the UTS in this reduction? In other words, this reduction was really due to the UTS or to other factors. Now, this graph shows the relative change of the emissions, this line, versus the relative change of the GDP. Now, we can see that there was a large decrease of emission year 2008-2009 that correspond to the decrease of GDP, this correspond to the financial crisis. So practically this graph shows that uh, at least part, if not most of the emission reduction was actually due to the crisis because uh, there was a, reduc a reduction of production, so industry produced less, so this means that they also emitted less. However, it also shows this graph that the, the reduction of the, of the uh, uh, emissions tends to be steeper than the one of the GDP. And actually, if you compare the emissions over the GDP before the UTS, it, it, is, uh, 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 it reduced uh, at the rate of about 1% per year, while after the UTS it reduced at the rate of about 2-3% uh, per year. So this shows that the, uh, this suggests that the instrument uh, had an effect on emission reduction. Now, to estimate exactly this effect is difficult because practically you have to compare the system with another one without the UTS, which in reality does not exist. 
So uh, there were some study which tried to do it using simulation and they found that at least for phase one and the beginning of phase two, there was a reduction of, bit, of about 3% of emission that can be attributed to the presence of the system. So the UTS helped to reduce emission in, in Europe. What about the carbon price? Uh, this graph shows you the price, these are the spot price for phase one and phase two and three. So in phase one, uh, initially the, the carbon price started quite high at around uh, 25 euros uh, uh, per ton of CO2. But uh, uh, quickly uh, the price uh, dropped to zero and remained zero for uh, the second half of the phase uh, one. Uh, why? That's because uh, there was an over allocation of emissions in phase one. Practically the number of allowances issued was higher than the actual uh, emissions. Uh, and given that this phase was separated, uh, this phase was separated uh, from these other two phases in the sense that allowances issued here uh, could not be used here. Uh, of course, when, uh, when the, uh, it was realized over allocation, the price, the value of the allowance was, was zero. So what happened in phase two? Something similar happened in the sense that uh, it always started uh, the price quite high at around uh, 20, 25 euros, but similarly the price uh, it went down and at the end of phase two, so the end of 2012, the price was around five years. And still now the price is low. It's a little bit higher, around seven years, but still low. Uh, why? Uh, because actually something similar happened also in phase two. There was always an overallocation of allowances. That's because when it was defined the cap, uh, people did not uh, uh, foresee, the cap was defined before the crisis, so they did not foresee the crisis. So also in phase two, the cap was, was higher with respect to the historical emissions. So the number of allowances issued was more than the, than the emissions. And actually phase two ended with a surplus of allowances of about two billion, which is, was, which is much, much higher than the surplus of allowances at the end of phase one, which was about uh, 80 million. But even if the price is, uh, it is low, it is not zero. It never reached zero like in phase one. That's because there is banking. In other words, allowances issued anytime here can be used anytime in the future. So the fact that the price, it is not zero, it means that there is a perception that at one point the allowances will be used. And that's because as I showed you before, the cap uh, will decline. So it will be more and more stringent. And, uh, and at one point the surplus will end and people, uh, they are going to use the allowances that now uh, they bet. Uh, two other quick uh, comments is, first, there are no convincing evidence, at least in the uh, academic literature, that the UTS adversely affected the competitiveness of the regulated firm. And second, as I said, from phase three, uh, there is a, uh, about half of the, of the, of, of, of the uh, allowances are auctioned. Uh, so it means that there is a revenue for member state. Uh, these account until now to about seven billions, which are redistributed to member state, partially taking into account GDP per capita. I mean, 10% of this is, is distributed taking into account GDP per capita. So there is an element of equity uh, in, the, in the EU ETS uh, directive. So what is the current status of the UTS? As I said, low carbon price and high surplus of allowances. Uh, this uh, graph comes from uh, the European Commission, from the impact assessment uh, for the uh, reform of the UTS. And it shows the historical and projected future profile of supply and demand. So the green line here shows the number of allowances issued every year. 
why the, uh, the yellow line shows the number of international credit. That's because uh, international credit is coming from the Kyoto Protocol can be used for compliance in the EU ETS. Now, there is a limit on the quality of credits. Now, not all credits for all projects can be used. And there is a limit on the quantity, which is about 1.6 billion for phase one and phase two. But still, 1.6 billion is a very high quantity. So uh, this, the use of international credit, of course, was another reason for this surplus of allowances. So practically, this uh, uh, total column here is the total number of allowances that can be used in that year. Why this, uh, uh, the, the black line shows the emissions, the historical emission from here are the projected emissions. So we can see that the emissions are lower than the number of allowances issued. And this means that there is a surplus of allowances. So there is a, a quantity of allowances which is not used and is bad. And this is given by this uh, uh, red line. And we see that this surplus uh, has grown in, in the phase two. And according to the prediction of the, of the UTS, this is a, under a business usual, usual scenario, it will keep on growing until the end of phase three. And we only uh, reduce from 2020, but slowly. So this surplus will remain. It's very large. It's about more than, more than two billion of allowances. So, this means that there is a perception that also the, the carbon price will remain low uh, in the next years. The Commission thinks it will, be, it will remain around 10, 10, dollars, 10, sorry, 10 euros at, at least until uh, 2020. Now, is this a problem? I mean, this, uh, this, this low carbon price, is it a real problem for uh, the, uh, the uh, European climate policy? And before discussing it, I want to ask you your opinion. And I will launch now a poll. Okay. You can vote now. So there are three quick questions. No, yes, or I do not know. See, you are very quick to vote. Very good. I'll give you other four... Three, two, one, zero. Okay, I see most of you have voted, uh, more than 80%. I think I can close the pool now. Okay, let's see the result. Okay, so 70% thinks yes, it is a problem. 18% uh, no, and 15% I don't know. So the large majority of you thinks that uh, yes, it is a problem for the climate policy uh, to have a low uh, uh, carbon price. Now, I think there are good reasons to answer no and to answer yes. First, no is not a problem. Why? Because the goal of the UTS is, it is, is to reduce emissions at the lowest cost using the cheapest option. So, okay, it was cheaper than we thought, cheaper than we, we predicted, but on the other side, no. Why it is bad? We are spending less money to reduce emissions. Yes, okay, we know that uh, this reduction comes from uh, the economic crisis, but on the other side, it is not a bad idea that the price is low at the time of an economic crisis, because uh, a low price uh, helps to, to, to support the growth of, of, uh, of the economy. And now we have other important uh, problems to solve. Or not. Think about the, the unemployment, uh, the budget constraint, and there are also uh, little money to spend for investment. 
And on the other side, the system, uh, when at a time of growth, surely the price will go up, but at that time, we will have more money to spend for investment. And as I showed you before, the cap will become more and more stringent. So it's only a matter of time, but eventually the price will go up. However, there is also good reason to say, yes, it is a problem. Why? The market is not perfect. There's perfect information. There is probably excessive focus in the short term. When people take decision, uh, they don't look ahead of 10 years. They may just look ahead of 3-4 years. So they do not care if the carbon price will, will grow up in 10-15 years. Uh, there are regulatory uncertainties because this market is, uh, is a market created by, by, by politics. And also it's a market where the supply is fixed because it depends on the cap. Why the demand is not fixed, it can be, there can be shock, like we had for the economic crisis. Uh, so maybe the market is not uh, uh, giving the right price signal and uh, this, is a, this may be a problem for investment because with a low carbon price, people can defer investment in uh, low carbon technology with the risk of carbon lock-in, means that now we do investment in high carbon technology and uh, we may do investment later on, like in uh, maybe 10, 15 years, 20 years, but at that time it will be more costly for society to invest in, uh, in low carbon technology. So I think choosing between no and yes depends on first, what do we want from this instrument if only reducing emissions at the lowest cost or also we want a price signal to support investment, not only in the long term, but also in the short and medium term. And second, it also depends on how much uh, we trust the market in uh, uh, deliver the, the right price. And given that market is not perfect, but by the way, no market is perfect. If it's better to leave the market as it is, to leave the system as it is, or try to fix it with the risk that we get things worse. So I think that, uh, uh, in my opinion, the, the proposal of the commissions to reform the UTS is somehow halfway through. Try to solve this problem of the large surplus of allowances, of the balance between demand and supply, but at the same time preserving the market dynamic of the instrument. Okay, so this <coughs> opens my the third session of, of, of this presentation, which is about the structural reform of the UTS. So officially, the debate started in 2012 when the Commission released a, a report on the status of the UTS, uh, and they proposed several measures to strengthen the UTS in the short and the long term. Uh, a first measure was a short-term measure uh, called backloading that was approved in about uh, one year. Uh, this backload is simply a postponing of auctioning of 900 million of allowances from the uh, beginning of phase 3 to the end of phase 3. There is no high expectation that this uh, short measure will have a major impact on the carbon market, but the debate on backloading was important because it opened the way to debating a much stronger reform in the long term. Uh, regarding those, the Commission proposed uh, six, different, uh, six different measures today. There was a public consultation, there was a debate with stakeholders, a debate with the uh, institutions, and eventually the Commission proposed uh, uh, a concrete reform at the beginning of uh, 2014, and last October the European Council agreed on an important document on the 2030 Framework for Climate and Energy, practically on the new energy and climate package uh, for 2030. And uh, this agreement uh, contains also a, a reform of the UTS, which is in line with the uh, proposal of the commissions. 
I have to say that these long-term measures are not yet uh, approved. The, the commission needs to draft uh, uh, a, a directive that needs to be voted by, by the parliament. So uh, the European Council, I mean, uh, there are several, several uh, things that the European Council uh, decide. I think the two most important are the following. First, an increase in the target to reduce 43% emission reduction by 2030. This means that the linear decreases I show you will be more steeper, 2.2% per year. Second, uh, there is a creation of a market stability reserve to, uh, to solve this problem of the balance of supply and demand. I have to say that they also, the European Council agree on uh, maintaining uh, free allowances also after 2020, also for the power sector, for uh, uh, member states with uh, lower GDP per capita. So most of the debate was about the market stability reserve. Uh, what is it? Uh, this is a system which, as I said, tries to, to, to control the surplus of allowances. Uh, it works in the following way. So the commission, after a public consultation, after consulting all stakeholders, realized that, uh, I mean, not, not a surplus in itself is not bad. The problem is when the surplus is too high. But a surplus of about between 400 and 800 million is okay for the functioning of the, of the uh, system. So uh, if the surplus is in this corridor, nothing happens. Uh, the system works uh, uh, as it is now. Now, when the surplus goes above 800 million of allowances, and as it is now, and now remember, now the, the surplus is 2 billion. Uh, uh, two years after, part of the allowances, which are supposed to be auctioning, are put, are put in the reserve. Uh, about 12% of the total surplus. And uh, until the surplus is above 800 million, uh, allowances are added to reserve, so this reserve keeps growing. When the surplus goes below 400 million, these reserves are put back into the market, they are auctioned at a rate of 100 million allowances per year. So as I said, this system tries to stabilize the, uh, the surplus of allowances. It is a rule-based mechanism, it operates impartially, there is no discretionary choice, like a machine, you know exactly how it works, and it only involves quantity, quantity of allowances. It does not control the price, so the price is still determined by the market. So as I said, it preserves the market dynamic of the instrument. Uh, now, the question is, what is this, the impact of the system on the carbon price? This is very hard to forecast, and the Commission does not provide any forecast on the carbon price, but they say this is not possible to, to forecast it in the, in, a, in the correct way. Uh, why? I mean, first, in general, it's hard to forecast the price of an asset, but uh, uh, in, in the case of the market stability reserve, the problem is if, we, if the market works perfectly, so there are no problems, people have perfect foresight, uh, forward-looking, and so on, the impact of the market stability reserve on the price is, is zero. That's because, on a, in economic terms, what really counts, it is only the total amount of allowances issued that does not change. So the market stability reserve only shifts in time uh, allowances. In this sense, it's similar in spirit to the backloading. That's because all the, all the allowances put in the reserve, eventually they will put back into the market. So the total number of allowances does not change. Now, as I said before, market is not perfect. 
People is not uh, forward-looking, uh, they may take decision only look ahead uh, three, four years. An element which play a major role in this, in this analysis was the aging strategy of the power sector, which uh, is considered about as a time, uh, time scale of about three, four years. So this means that the market stability will have an impact, but it's hard to say because, because, because it depends on the, on, the, on the behavior of the players in the market that, by the way, it may change. So the, 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 there are some, some models which say that probably the, par, the, the price will go up, but how much? It depends on the assumption you use. Now, also for this reason, the Commission uh, proposed a review of the system in 2026 to check how the system works after a few years and also to see uh, if the corridor that was defined is good or not, if it needs to be changed. And uh, uh, and I have to say that uh, the current debate that we have now in these in these weeks, uh, it is uh, uh, not so much on the details of the market stability reserve, but on when to make it start. Uh, if in 2021, as originally proposed by the Commission, or earlier, as proposed by some country like uh, UK or, uh, or or Germany, which practically they propose to link this market stability reserve with the backloading. And uh, the proposal is, uh, is to put the allowances of the backloading directly to the reserve instead of putting back to the market at the end of phase three. So this means that the market stability reserve will start uh, a few years earlier. Okay, these are the conclusions. Uh, first, the UTS succeeded to create a functioning market for carbon emission allowances. Uh, there is a low carbon price that uh, may be not enough to support investment in low carbon technology in the short medium term. The European institutions have shown strong commitment to strengthen the UTS. Now there is a big debate and, and probably this reform will pass. Uh, and I think it's my feeling that independently on the actual uh, impact of this, of, this, of this measure, in particular the impact of the market stability reserve on the carbon market, uh, they are important to restore confidence in the system, to restore credibility to this instrument that it was at least partially lost because of this low uh, carbon price. And finally, I want to say that the UTS will remain a key instrument of the European climate policy. First, because, as I just said, the European institutions are committed to do that. And also because uh, uh, the, the UTS is the only climate policy we have now in Europe with a sure horizon after 2020. That's because, the, as I said, the current EU directive does not foresee any end to this instrument. The cap will keep on declining. And if on one side it is, uh, it is hard to reform the system, it's hard to find agreement among member states and the parliament to reform the system, on the other side it's also hard to, to take it out. So the system will remain, the cap will become more stronger, and the UTS will, will, will remain a pillar of the uh, European climate policy. Okay, I conclude here, but first I want to uh, uh, say that here at the, in Florence we are organizing a conference for the 10 years anniversary of the UTS that will be held uh, the 21st of May where there will be policymakers, academics, stakeholders and it will be live streamed so you can, uh, you can join us and, 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 and watch and soon we'll find all the information on the internet. Thanks. Perfect, Claudio. Thank you so much for this presentation. It was really complete and you gave us 
a very comprehensive overview of the EUTS mechanism and its history. So now I would go straight to the Q&A session. We've received many, many questions. We try to answer to some of them and I'll try to um, yes, collect and um, to, to, to match some of them so that you can give an um, answer to some of them altogether. So the first one, uh, in the meantime, I'll, I'll ask you to show your screen if you like, your webcam. Uh, yes. yes. Uh, first question, uh, why did not the European Commission propose a price corridor instead of a surplus corridor? Uh, that's a good question. Sorry, you can see my... my yes, uh, we can see you. Ah, okay, fine. Uh, okay, initially, one, as I said, there were several proposals. One of these was to touch the carbon price, uh, either in the form of a corridor or, or the form of a carbon floor. Uh, eventually, the Commission chose this market stability reserve because it was the proposal where they found most, most support. Uh, why? First, because as I said, uh, it, it is the, the proposal which preserved the dynamic of the market. So somehow uh, he, uh, the structure of the, of the key structure of the, of the UTS. And second, because from a political point of view, it is very hard to uh, touch the price. Uh, I mean, uh, when you start uh, uh, putting some price control, uh, there is a problem on First, who is going to define the price? The Commission, the Member States. Second, how to define the price? At which level? Because the price, I mean, if you start controlling the price, this is a direct impact on the UTS. Uh, you can say that also in the, the similar problem for the quantity, I mean, define the right quantity, but somehow it's easier to find agreement with the quantity because it's like more technical. Why the price is something that people see it, and in general, politicians, they want to have the last words. So it is more and more difficult to find an agreement in, in the price. And also remember that uh, uh, that's also the reason why we have an UTS and not a carbon tax. Initially, the, the initial proposal in the 90s of the Commission was to have a carbon tax in order to comply with the Kyoto Protocol. Uh, but, I mean, eventually we ended up with the carbon trade scheme because it, is very, it was not possible to find a compromise at political level for, for a carbon tax. Okay, thank you. And now uh, we received a couple of questions on uh, the role of transport into the EUETS. So if you could very briefly just say uh, what the impact of including transport in the EUETS scheme would be. I mean, we know that aviation has been already Yeah, included. aviation, okay. Aviation counts by about 5% of emission in the UTS, so it's not big. Yeah. Uh, but there was a big debate on aviation because initially... So aviation was introduced in 2012, and initially uh, um, it was for all flight traveling uh, to Europe or from Europe, independently from where they land or take off. In other words, a flight flying from New York to Rome, it will pay allowances uh, for all the emissions along the flight, not only for the emissions that happened in, uh, for the flight above the European territory. Uh, this created a lot of stress with some countries, notably US and China. Actually, US also challenged uh, the system in, in the court in uh, in UK, and there was also some uh, some threat. Uh, I mean, some some revenge uh, from from some countries. And eventually, uh, what happens is that the commission decided to apply the 
uh, aviation only in European territory because, uh, because the ICAO, I mean the International Organization of Aviation, had decided to set up uh, a carbon market for international aviation. So and, uh, the European uh, Union decided to, uh, to, to join this market when it will be created, trading in 2020. Uh, so now the system only, the aviation system only works for flight within the European uh, territory. Okay, and any plans for uh, including road transport? Very briefly on that. Uh, not for the moment. It's not now in the agenda. I mean, uh, not not not. Uh, it's not it's not in the agenda. In the in the I would say in the short the short okay. term. Okay, thank you. Not Let's discussed. go no. to the next one. So, must the revenues uh, from the auction of the EU ETS be used for low carbon projects? Uh, no. Uh, the directive says that the member state should use 50% of the, uh, at least 50% of the revenue from, from the auctioning uh, for projects to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, but there is no binding target. Uh, there is a project called NER300 where practically 300 million of allowances. Were, were sold and the revenue, which is about 2 billion, uh, uh, will be used for projects in uh, renewable energy and uh, CCS. And also, by the way, the Commission proposed to uh, replicate this, this, this program with an air 400, where 400 million euros of allowances will be uh, sold uh, for similar projects uh, from 2020. But no, the answer, the, the, the answer is no to that question. Okay. Thank you. Let's now explore a bit the international aspects of the of the mechanism, and I want to ask you a couple of questions combined. So, uh, first, what was the role of the EUETS in the international context? And second, um, how do you think that um, potential distributional issues of the EU um, of the emission allowances uh, could be addressed if the system um, should be considered in a global way, so not only European way, but on a world basis. Uh, okay, uh, no, sorry. Regarding the the international context, I think that the UTS uh, is very important in the international context. Several reasons. First, uh, first, it was born in international context. As I said, it was born to comply with the Kyoto Protocol, and it represented the most important market for the Kyoto credits. Uh, second is an example uh, in the sense that uh, uh, not only Europeans are learning how to make the system work, but also other, other countries are learning from the European experience. And second, there is the possibility of linkage uh, between the, uh, the EU ETS and uh, similar uh, systems, similar carpentry systems in the world. And actually, with Australia, there was uh, the the debate was uh, far advanced and was supposed to, to have a linkage, but unfortunately, Australia decided to to abolish the cap and trend system. Uh, but I mean, it, it is uh, I mean there is the, the possibility of linkages, and thus a possibility of creating uh, a world level uh, cap and trade uh, scheme. Uh, regarding distribution, I think the most issue with distribution is how you are going to use the revenue. Uh, so, because if you, uh, if you, like in the UTS, you have auctioning, so you have, uh, uh, you sell, member states sell, uh, sell uh, allowances, and in principle these allowances can be used to solve distributional issues, such that the cost of the system are distributed equally 
uh, among among citizens and equally among uh, sectors of, of of the economy. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay, we have time for a couple of questions more, uh, even if it's late. I think they are very interesting. Uh, so the, the next one is: um, What do you think about unilateral measures like the carbon floor price uh, in the UK to supplement the UTS? Uh, I'm. Uh, I mean, I see that. I mean, it, it is good in a sense that surely it will, it will uh, increase the price, at least in the UK. So we'll send a clear uh, message uh, to investor. I think that the problem is that if let's suppose that if each country will define a car carbon price. I mean, probably. I mean, each country will have a different carbon floor. And uh, with many, many carbon flow products, there, there is the risk that the system uh, is going to, to break. And the second is like some country, I mean, probably in some country, I mean, are very committed to, to, to carbon price. But, you know, there will be always a change of governments. And uh, a country like Italy, for example, we tend to have many governments. And so maybe a government can put a carbon floor, but the following governments can take it out. Sure. It's a tax at the end. So I think there is some regulatory uncertainty. Why, as I said before, in the UTS, it's very hard to modify in both sense, both improving and but also to, to take it out. So it's a much more stable system. Okay, great. Uh, another question, which is very uh, international in a sense, more than, than a European wide. So uh, will the new uh, European targets on emission allow to reach the IPCC target of an increase of maximum 2 degrees Celsius by 2050? And if so, is this still not enough to sufficiently decrease uncertainty uh, about investment in low-carbon technologies? So regarding the target, I mean, one of the reasons why the cap was made more stringent, as I said, one of the decisions was to... to uh, to reach a 40% reduction in the UTS by, 20, by 2030, it is exactly for this reason, because the current cap uh, will reach by 2050 about 70% uh, emission reduction, which according to the you know, study, IPCC study, another study, is not enough uh, to, to have a two degree, only two degree different in the, the temperature. Europe should reach 80-90% emission reduction. So the yes, one of the goal of this reform is exactly to address uh, to address this point. And regarding the investment, uh, as I said before, I mean, uh, it's a problem of carbon price. So probably now the carbon price is uh, it's not very low to support a lot of investment in the power sector. And the question is, when do we want to have this investment? If we want to have investment now, surely we should find some measure to, to, to try to, to push up the price. I mean, the, the market stability reserve may be a measure. Uh, or, but if you want to wait, said, said if, we, if we are not so pressure, we can wait in the sense that at one point when the, the market will be, when the cap will be more stringent, uh, surely the price will go up. And when the price will go up, people, I mean, it's, it's, will, it's forced to make, to make investment. Uh, so it goes back to what I said before. If we believe the market to do it, maybe wait it, or no, we want, we want it sooner because we are afraid that if we don't do now, there's the risk of higher cost for society. 
Good, perfect. Thank you for this answer. So sh should we trust the markets or not in the end?